Tune in to my interview with Amy Summers, lawyer and former expat who moved to China with her husband and two young sons, and after seven years returned back to America to spend more time with her parents. Amy Summers eventually wrote a book, Rumors from Shanghai, about an African American living his best life in Shanghai in the 1930s, who learns about a secret attack Japan plans for America. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where we talk to expats about what it's like living abroad, and they tell their stories. Whether it's the struggles, the joys, falling in love, raising a family, managing a business in another country, and maybe still searching for that place they will one day call home. This is a place where you can listen. The guest and host will share, and maybe we'll all learn from these stories that we're all connected in what home means to each of us. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. Hello, welcome, listeners. Thank you for returning to my podcast. Are we home yet? A podcast for current expats to talk about what it's like living abroad. So today with me, I am pleased to have Amy. And Amy, where are you currently living, and how long have you lived there? Hi, Jalila. I'm so、Hi. honored to be on your podcast.、Um, I am from Seattle, and I am now back in Seattle. So you could think of me as recovering. <laughs> um, or a missing or a former expat, yeah.、Um, and I'm just so interested in the topics that you're focusing on in terms of home because I just think that's such a resonant question for people, even if they themselves aren't expats. So,、mm -hmm. thank you for inviting me to talk today. Cool, cool, cool. What's it like living in Seattle? Well, you know, I, as I mentioned, I I was born here. I grew up here. I、um, I know Seattle in some ways, like the back of my hand.、Um, and what I really wanted to explore、uh, in thinking about that to, for our discussion today was what it was like returning to a city that you know so well, but you've lived away from it for,、yeah. in my case, eleven、yeah. years.、Um, and it was in some ways, returning was really an adjustment because I had expectations about what I knew the city to be. But from the time we left in 2004 until we moved back permanently in 2015, this little kind of quirky online bookseller had turned into a world behemoth for e-commerce called Amazon,、uh -huh. and it was bringing in tens of thousands of new residents to Seattle. And so、um, you had this mushrooming of people who came in, and suddenly, you know, the cost of living went up, and housing went up, and there were all these. Uh, stresses that came for society in Seattle that hadn't been present or had not been so extreme when we left.、Um, so, it, it, I think for people who return to where they came from at the end of their expatriate experience,、uh, there can be some period of adjustment or culture, sort of reverse culture shock.、Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What did you experience when when you did return home? Like, how how did you feel? And and where did you return home from? And how long have you lived there? I know, long question, but you can take it. Sure. So,、um, we returned. My my husband and my younger son was about to enter high school from Shanghai to Seattle, and our older son had already left a year before we returned to go to the, to university in the United States,、mm -hmm. and and the thing that was Surprisingly hard and sort of intriguing to me was when we moved to Shanghai. 
our children were very small. Um, the younger son was three and the older son was eight. And our younger son had never gone to school in the United States. And we moved back to the United States for various reasons. But one of the reasons was that he was about to enter high school. And we felt having grown up outside the United States, it was either we move back then or we wait for another four years and move back at the end of high school. Mm -hmm. And my, one of my parents was elderly and not well. And I didn't, and I didn't think that if we waited four years, our family would get to spend time with him. So we decided that it was better to move back when we did. And so when we, when we moved back, you know, our child was a native English speaker. We had spent holidays regularly in Seattle. Um, you know, he had some, a few friends from over the years, uh, but he had never, as I said, gone to school in the United States. And I remember the first few weeks when he was at high school, he would come home just so frustrated and he would say, I don't understand what they're talking about. You know, again, this is a native English speaking kid, but there were all these um, slang references or cultural references to TV shows or music or you know, kids who had known each other growing up. And he, even though he was really adept socially, found it super hard to fit in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that eventually passed. But what was striking to me was that as it, time went on and he did make friends, um, often people he became closest to had some kind of international background in their own lives. Mm. They were, you know, first generation immigrants or um, had lived overseas themselves. And those were the kids that he found the deepest connection with. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't something I had expected when we moved back to what was in some sense, his hometown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. How long did you live in Shanghai and what had prompted the move there and what was it like living in Shanghai? We lived in Shanghai for over 11 years. Mm -hmm. um, and my experience maybe is a little bit different from some of the folks you'll talk up to or are talking to, because living in China had really been a dream. And it wasn't that I wanted to be an expatriate per se, but actually living in China had been my dream for decades. I had um, in university decided that I wanted to pursue a China-focused law career. Mm -hmm. And so my studies in undergraduate and law had been focused on that goal. Mm -hmm. And then um, my husband and I had married and he worked for a family business in Seattle and we had a very nice life. And so after I graduated in, and in the early 90s, when every so often I would say, hey, you know, it looks like things are starting to take off with the legal profession. I was a lawyer um, in China. Maybe we should think about moving. You know, he would remember what Taiwan was like when he would come visit me in Taiwan in the eight, late 80s and assume China was mainland China was like that. Mm -hmm. And also he would look around and we had, you know, this great life where, you know, we could go hiking or sailing, or all these outdoorsy things and say, you know, why would we want to do that? So um, I had, you know, off and on been working on this for a while and, and we had a nice life in Seattle. It wasn't like I was unhappy in Seattle, but um, in 2003, um, several things conspired to give me a chance to kind of advance my case as it were. And one of them was that I got hired to work on um, high stakes uh, criminal customs investigation that the Shanghai Customs was bringing against a U.S. company. And by the time they hired me, it was at sort of a dire point. So they ended up asking me just to be there for a couple of months in Shanghai and they would bring my family over to be with me rather than trying to fly me back and forth. Mm -hmm. And so my husband then had a chance to see what it was like in Shanghai. And of course it was in the autumn, 
best time of year for the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things were, it, we had this wonderful time. And so at the end of that time, he was like, okay, I get this, why you want to do this. And I'm on board. So I then got a job with an international law firm and to help open their office in Shanghai and moved in the spring of 2004. And so I, for me, I really knew what we were getting into or what I was getting into because I knew China. I had spent so much time in China. I love Chinese um, language and culture. And I was fascinated by Chinese history and, you know, all these, for me, it was like a dream come true, but for the rest of my family, it was a totally new experience. So I got to be the the bridge initially trying to convince them this was going to be as good for them as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And so you, you authored a book about an expat. So an African-American expat in Shanghai in the 1930s. And you mentioned so many cool places in the book. When you mentioned those, I immediately thought of cool places in, in America as well. What similarities did you find between Shanghai and Seattle? Maybe that made you feel more at home in Shanghai. Well, that's a really interesting question. So, you know, in Seattle, the lifestyle then, you know, the early 2000s, and I think still today was really focused on um, outdoorsy kind of living, you know, that, you know, it's not an accident that REI's headquarters is here. And so people are really into hiking and camping and mountain climbing and boating and all this. Um, So I found Shanghai was much more intensely urban. And I I personally really liked that. So Mm -hmm. for me, Shanghai wasn't so much a continuation of Seattle as a totally different experience Mm -hmm. and one that I really liked. And, um, you know, I mentioned that my husband had been reluctant to leave in Seattle initially because he did like the lifestyle, the Pacific Northwest outdoorsy lifestyle. But what was really funny to me was that he came to so embrace the more urban uh, lifestyle of Shanghai and being able to, you know, take your bicycle and go a very short distance and, you know, meet a friend for a drink very spontaneously or go get a foot massage or go wandering around all these twisty, turny streets. and you mentioned my book, uh, Rumors from Shanghai, mm-hmm. which is set, as you mentioned it, you know, in this pre-revolutionary era, Shanghai. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time we were living there, there were a lot of people who were very interested in historic Shanghai and the nightclub culture, the history of that period, and the built environment in, and uh, historic architecture. And so there were people like Tess Johnston or Duncan Hewitt, who are giving walking tours or lectures. And so one of the things that we really enjoyed was getting to know Shanghai through their eyes and learning more about the city of, of old and the ways, in some ways, that Shanghai in the early 2000s had that, that recovered energy of anything goes and glamour, although in a 21st century way, mm-hmm. um, that we would hear about when we learned about the history of Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me ask then, because you lived there for, you mentioned a little bit more than 11 years. So that's mm-hmm. quite some time. What is your definition of home? I mean, even though like your family moved with you and, you know, presumably like that helped you feel at home, but what's your definition of home and how did you create besides your family being there a sense of home? Like what things did you need to physically do to create a sense of home, not just for your family, but of course, especially for yourself to individually feel at home there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, um, so at the time we moved to Shanghai, real estate was pretty 
affordable, oddly, now. Um, and I was really interested, as I mentioned, in old Shanghai architecture. And so we ended up buying, we, we could have rented, you know, one of these furnished apartments or, you know, lived out in a compound um, with, where a lot of the families of our children's classmates lived, but we ended up buying an apartment down in the center of Shanghai, not far from the Paramount Ballroom, mm-hmm. and it was built in 36 and renovated it in sort of a Shanghai Art Deco 1930 style, um, but with modern conveniences. And that turned out, you know, having a place that was really beautiful and quiet because the the streets and the life of Shanghai is filled with noise and intensity um, turned out to be really important. So we loved being out and about in Shanghai, but we also really loved having a quiet, restful place to return to. Mm-hmm. And so that was really important to both my husband and me. At the time, we our children were growing up initially, they didn't like that that was our home. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very envious of their friends who lived out in these compounds that looked like suburban houses from, you know, mid-America or something, mm-hmm. um, and felt that we were really deprived because we didn't live there. <laughs> As they became teenagers, though, mm-hmm. um, all their friends wished that they lived downtown oh, and yeah. they, and our children started, started to see it as cool. So, um, you know, it changed over time how it felt to the kids. But one of the things that was really interesting observing them was we kept our house in Seattle and we were fortunate we didn't rent it out when we were living there because my husband would come back frequently for various periods to do business things here. So he, so when we would come back, the children could kind of resume playing with toys they had gotten at Christmas or, you know, playing out in the backyard where they had played before we moved. So they had some continuity between what their home was in the United States and what their home was in Shanghai. Um, but, you know, you're part of what you and I have talked about that you're covering is sort of how do you create um, almost resonance of what it means to have home. And one of the things that I think does that is not necessarily the places you're living in, but the rituals you create Mm -hmm. for your family life. So one of the things my husband did, which at first I thought was kind of silly, but then over time I realized it was a really cool and, and um, special thing to do was every time we would come back to Seattle you know, at Christmas or in the summer, he would make the kids stand in the same place with all the mountain of luggage that we had and take a picture. It was outside our back door. And so you have this whole series of pictures of them, you know, first small and then growing larger. And it's really cool to see that progression. And so having a ritual about noting that you're coming to where is a home um, and that you that's what you do um, turned out to be kind of a special way to create memory for the kids. Another thing that we did was we would take, we had you know Chinese friends and they would want to go on outings on holidays or long weekends. And we loved doing that. And when our kids were little, they really didn't like doing it because they found the cultural things boring or they didn't like food or whatever. And there was a point at which we were sort of thinking, well, maybe we just give up. I mean, it's just too much, you know, mafan, it's too much trouble. Mm-hmm. And we happened to have dinner with a woman. Um, you may have heard of her. Her name is Trini Target. She used to run a, a store in Shanghai years ago. And she herself had grown up as an expatriate child. Mm-hmm. Her family was Danish. And when she was growing up, her dad worked in um, Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And she told us about how when she and her brother were little, 
her parents would do the same thing. They would want to take them out to all these cultural things and historic places. And they hated it. And her parents were like, we don't care. You are going. And she said, as an adult, she was so grateful that they persevered because she now as an adult had memories that she would otherwise wouldn't have had. And that, you know, places that no longer existed, she had been to and seen them as they had been. So we sort of, you know, took resolve from that and continued and, I'm really glad we did because again, the kids today, they'll still talk about some of the trips we took or the, you know, the things they saw. And so I guess I would say to your listeners, if you are living in a place and trying to go travel there with your children and they're pushing back, don't give up because (laughs) in time, in time, they will appreciate it. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's something that like, you know, we know as adults that like, it's important to go and see an experience. It is important to have that experience. You recognize that as an adult, because, you know, you do see like how time has elapsed and how, you know, time can be fleeting. You know, when you're younger, you're like, yeah, not this, no, it's something else. But you 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 assume it will always be the same or, you know, big deal or whatever. Yeah, 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 definitely. Let's cut to a quick commercial break. Enjoying the podcast? Then support the podcast. Click here to donate in the show notes and keep the cool interviews with guests from around the world going. Check out the blog for handy information about living abroad and buy the ebook, a great guidebook for moving abroad. Find the blog and ebook at the website arewehomeyetpodcast.com. Again, that's arewehomeyetpodcast.com. You can also donate on the website by scrolling all the way to the bottom and finding the donate button. All right, back to the show now. Um, okay, so so tell me, like, what were some of the struggles and joys of being an expat? Like, what did you experience, and 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 how did it get better? Well, I think the struggle was in the early days, as our you know, children were getting their feet, and and actually for you know my husband too, sort of getting the lay of the land. He took to it faster than they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was definitely like for the first maybe 10 months or actually, actually I remember when it ended for the first 10 months, they were like, you have ruined our lives. <laughs> and you know, of course the three-year-old didn't really know anything, but he was just mimicking his older brother. Um, and then, so we arrived in the spring and then Chinese New Year that year was, um, I think it was at the end of January, a Chinese friend had invited us to come over to his compound we went out to eat and at this Japanese restaurant there and then afterwards he invited us to go outside into the courtyard where he had all these boxes you know these big sort of like crates of soda it looks Mm -hmm. like with um, fireworks in them Mm -hmm. and he handed Jack who was just about turning nine a lit cigarette and said do you want to light fireworks (laughs) and Jack got this smile and says like oh now I get it. Like I would never be allowed to have a lit cigarette or to let off fireworks in the United States, but this guy is opening the door for me to do this. And that, that sort of was a turning point where they realized, huh, we are getting to do some kind of cool things that we normally would not get to do. So um, from then on, it, it got easier and they c- came to really enjoy it. I think the hardest 
thing is if you are close to your family who aren't, you know, the, the family and the relatives who are back in wherever you're from, mm-hmm. you know, you, you do feel sometimes like you're missing out on their developments and their milestones. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you know, getting together for Sunday dinners or going on certain outings that you would go on as a family at certain times of the year, you know, that, that that's hard being a, away from that. But I think when we would come, so we always would bring the boys back in the summer so that they could see their grandparents. And as our children got older and our friends' kids got older, I started to notice changes, not that weren't unique to my children. I realized this this was a commonality with other expatriate kids we knew in Shanghai, which is that many of the friends we had who were Chinese or maybe they were from Europe, they came from cultures where eating together, you know, having meals and sitting down, talking and laughing and joking over long periods of time, you know, several hours was a common form of entertainment mm-hmm. and that children were expected to engage with this too. And so our children, and again, the kids of the people we knew in China, um, learned as they were growing up, like, this is what you do. Like, you have to talk to the other adults, you have to sit there, you can get up and play, but you're part of this. You don't get to just like not engage. Mm-hmm. And when we would come back as our friends' kids got to be older, and um, they would just find it very difficult in um, the United States to sit down at a, a nice dinner and to talk to the adults or, and even when my older son, after he had moved back and was going to university, he went back to China to stay at some family friends house with some of his American classmates from university. And one of the friends they were staying with was French and they had this big long dinner and Jack was like, okay, well, this is, you know, this is totally normal. And the, one of the friends was whispering to him like, it's, we've been sitting down for more than 45 minutes. Aren't they, we going to be done yet? I mean, it was just <laughs> like, so, you know, like for the American kids, this was just very onerous actually. Mm-hmm. So I think you're, you know, if you value having children who learn how to function um, in, you know, and not be intimidated by meeting new people and meet people in a kind of gracious or a um, open way, an expatriate experience can be a really cool thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So let me just ask you a few more questions. So, you know, when you came over uh, to China from America, what was the visa process like? Um, you know, because you were you were going to be work, working with a company. So I'm assuming it, it might have been like a little bit different than, say, you know, a tourist visa, obviously. So what was the visa process like? Yeah, in early 2004, it was, you know, at that point, China was really welcoming um foreign executives mm-hmm. and you know foreigners generally so it really was not a big deal i i entered on a, tr- a visitor visa mm-hmm. and then it was converted over to a work permit and oh, okay. um accompanying spouse and, and family member visas the big change in the early years was that Technically, I believe you were supposed to leave the country when they did the conversion. So mm-hmm. it was not uncommon that people would have to fly down to Hong Kong and then they would issue the actual residence visa or the work mm-hmm. permit and then you could re-enter. But even with that, they weren't they they didn't actually in Shanghai at least um the immigration authorities weren't strict about that requirement. And so we didn't even have to leave Shanghai to get once we were approved. So it was all very easy. And then as time went on, of course, things started to change and it got harder. You know, they started making you do 
even for renewals, you had to do these health checks. Mm -hmm. And then we started to see people who uh, maybe before they had been entrepreneurs and, and they could set up a little company, it was fine. But then they started getting pushback like, well, we're not sure this is substantial enough. And so by the time we left, it really changed. But at, in mm -hmm. the early 2000s, this was not an impediment. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, you stayed with the same company the entire time that you were here? No, I actually switched firms. Okay. Um, and it was still, it was still basically the same. I mean, you did, I, I remember when I switched firms, I was coming up for the expiration of my, whatever the renewal period was. Mm -hmm. I think it was like every April or every May. And the, the departing firm had discretion that they could cancel your, um, and not you know, process the renewal for you. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, the office administrator was this lovely Shanghainese lady and we got along really well. And so she was like, I'm just going to process your renewal and then you can transfer <laughs> it over so that you don't have to like leave the country and with your kids and go through mm -hmm. this whole hassle. So yeah, it was, it was fine. But again, I think that, that whole process of transferring my senses, it's changed a lot. Or, you know, in terms of how strictly they uh, apply those requirements today, you would you probably know more than I do about that point. Yeah, because currently, like, you know, they, they cancel everything and then they give you a stay visa. So, like, you stay here. Oh. Um, but, yeah, like, I mean, there really isn't any transferring anymore. It's like the, the new place, you know, they, they kind of start everything back up again. You know, uh. they, they need to see your documents, at least for, for a teacher. Yeah, at least for a teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, so, like, what was job hunting like then? I mean, like, did, did, were you, did you do job hunting or did you, like, find a job through, like, word of mouth or a connection? And, and I'm sure it must have been different from the experience of when you were in America and, you know, mm -hmm. you, had, you had found the job here. Right. Yeah. So, um, I think there are sort of, there were kind of two, at least two worlds, maybe three. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in my world, which was a, a profession, of the legal profession, um, there are all these organizations or means by which you could network with people and know about what other firms were doing or what companies might be hiring in-house. Mm -hmm. And so if one wanted to switch jobs, it wasn't really difficult to find opportunities because there was so much going on. Mm -hmm. Where there was a lot of dynamism, I mean, in the professions, it was there were lots of opportunity, but it was kind of a a narrow world, like you knew which big international companies had enough of a presence that they would want senior lawyers, or you knew which law firms were trying to hire partner or senior level people. But the interesting place was in just the regular business world where mm. it was kind of the wild west. I mean, there were small companies opening, there were um, Chinese companies wanting to do business internationally. Um, you know, there were medium sized American companies who at that time were perfectly happy to go over to China and try and do business. Mm -hmm. And so it was very interesting to observe people who happened to be in China as maybe the trailing spouse, mm -hmm. and then they could find any number of opportunities, um, either with existing companies or they might start something of their own with some people. And so that was a very dynamic space. And then the third space, I would say, sort of on its own, maybe closer to what my, my experience was, was the teaching space. I mean, there was all, that was always very, it, it had its own kind of timing and rules. 
but but there are so many international schools that if you were an international teacher, you could get a job um, in your home country at one of these, you know, exhibitions or, or conferences where they go around and hunt for people. Or um, you might hear something while you were in Shanghai or move around in the country to different parts of China. So the whole, because it, the closest comparison I can make is when I we used to hear my parents when I was little talk about what um, the economy was like or what job hunting was like in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sounded like you know, very similar that it was the economy was so strong that, you know, if you didn't like a job, you could quit it and know that you would find something else. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was and because, again, China really wanted that foreign engagement. They and, and at that time felt that they didn't necessarily have. Uh, their own international business skills as, mm-hmm. you know, up to the level they wanted, they were very welcoming of uh, foreigners working in companies and starting companies and doing consultancies. And so it was it was really cool to see people getting to collaborate and do things with local people and, um, you know, kind of pursue their dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, you know, what was like your, your day-to-day like, like at work? And then, you know, obviously, like, away from work, your downtime. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm from the West Coast. And at least where, when I was working in the 90s or early 2000s before I left, mm-hmm. um, the business, our culture tended to be people started early in the morning. So, mm-hmm. you know, office hours would start at 8 or earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people would finish, you know, by 6, say. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you had to work late, you sometimes did. But um but in Asia, generally, uh, office hours didn't start till nine-ish, and then people tended oh, nice. to get to, to work later. So, um, so I tended to go into work later. Although I would often, especially once, um, you know, everybody had mobile phones, you would be asked to do conference calls in you know in the morning sometimes. But I didn't have to be to work until later. Mm-hmm. And the biggest adjustment was that. Um, you know, everyone in Asia stays in their offices until at least seven or seven thirty, and the younger people would stay much later. Mm-hmm. And I realized part of this was because they maybe lived with their parents or they had very small apartments, and so being in this nice office and kind of chilling and not having people breathe down your neck wasn't all bad. Mm-hmm. But I had very small children, so I tended to be wanting to like get my work, get in, and get out. So even though I tried not to linger, I never really got home before say 7.30. So when we lived in the United States, we would have dinner together as a family. That was the general rule. But once we lived in Asia, really breakfast was the meal we had together where we knew we were all there. And then the kids would eat earlier and we wouldn't eat till later. And then the biggest day-to-day difference apart from that in our lives was that instead of coming home at the end of the day and having to figure out what to cook and cooking something, our housekeeper would have dinner ready for us, mm-hmm. which, you know, I as a working mom, that was just huge. So, you know, the kids would have eaten, we would come home and there would be leftovers that we could warm up and eat. And, um, and then we could hang out. And, um, so it was really, uh, it gave us, a, um, more time with the kids in a way than we would have when we were working in the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, you know, so you mentioned more time with the kids. So then quality of life sounds like, you know, it was different, maybe even better in some ways. Um, in terms of like cost of living, I'm sure like there was definitely a decrease in cost of living. Yeah. So the the quality of life uh, in this way was really good. I mean, overall, I worked more hours mm-hmm. um, as a lawyer in a week than I did when I was in Seattle. But on the weekends when I was in Seattle, 
that was when my husband and I had to go to the grocery store and do the housework and do the laundry and go to the dry mm-hmm. cleaner and all those things. So uh, the weekends weren't really times of leisure when we lived in the United States. And mm-hmm. a big difference was that um, during the week we worked long days, but then on the weekends we really just could hang out as family and do things with friends. And so that was a huge uptick in our quality of life. And then um, the cost of living at that time, when we first moved, especially, it really was very low. I mean, you got 8.2 RMB to the U.S. dollar. So, mm-hmm. you know, the dollar was really strong mm-hmm. and things didn't cost that much in Shanghai. You know, it, mm-hmm. I forget what the, the base cab fare was, the taxi drop. It was very low and, um, you know, everything was just super affordable. So. Mm-hmm. I, you know, now my, I haven't been back to Shanghai for several years because of COVID, but mm-hmm. when I was last there, I felt like, you know, eating out in restaurants was definitely comparable to costs in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was something we, you know, we really enjoyed was eating out. But um, I don't know. I mean, maybe housing is still cheaper than in the U.S. It used to be that you, uh, rents were very inexpensive. I mean, you could rent a really fancy place and, of course, spend a gazillion dollars. But mm-hmm. if you just wanted, you know, an apartment in a nice neighborhood in Shanghai, you could afford something for, you know, twelve or fifteen hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. which you know for a family is not a, a bad thing if both people are working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, rents rents have gone up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you reconcile? You know, like missing family and friends, and 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 obviously it was a different you know time then in terms of like you know you didn't have COVID, which restricted your movement around the world. So like you know, mm-hmm. I think you had mentioned that like you know you guys would go home during the summers, and and besides that, like how how often would you guys keep in touch in terms of like uh, you know phone calls and and things like that? Yeah, we. Uh, in fact, I was just with my mom on a little trip a few days ago, and we were talking mm-hmm. about this question. Mm-hmm. And she was saying um, how much they appreciated that the kids came home regularly. So they came home every summer, and I came home at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we spent thousands of dollars over mm-hmm. 11 years to make that happen for them. But um, it meant a lot to our, our parents. We didn't tend to talk to... I mean, we would call our parents during the day, but the kids tended not to talk to them between times. They didn't really like, like talking on the phone that much. We, we did that. And then a few times before our parents got, you know, old enough that it, you know, the long trip was hard, they did come out. I mean, both my parents, and my husband's parents came to China several times, or we met places like one year, uh, we met in Hawaii over Lunar New Year. Um, and another year over the October holiday, we met down in Bali. Um, so it was pretty fun to get to do that, to, that kind of international travel with them. Um, but we were fortunate, of course, because it was pre-COVID and um, there weren't those restrictions that exist now. And, mm-hmm. and you know, what, what did you feel about your safety here? I mean, because everyone who, who I've interviewed, you know, who lives in China or has lived in China felt, has felt like and feels like, you know, like safety is, 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 is a non-issue here, you know. I'm, I'm yeah. assuming it must have been the same for you like years ago. Yeah, it really was. I mean, that was one of the cool things being um, a woman, you know, because my husband would take the kids home for the summer. He had more flexibility work-wise than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would be at, in Shanghai on my own for most of the summer mm-hmm. and I could hang out with people or go out late at night and come back and 
by myself and never worry. But I remember one time, this is probably around two, this is probably what, 2005, I was going with some friends um, to Xi'an over the summer. Mm-hmm. And the office manager of our firm in Beijing, the, the branch office in Beijing, was from Xi'an. And she was so funny because as I was talking to her on, on the way out of town, we, I had to ask her about something. She was like, now be careful when you're in Xi'an because the social safety, the Jur'an situation in Xi'an isn't as good as it is in Shanghai. So Chinese friends would war, you know, warn me if I went you know, to Beijing or Xi'an or wherever, like, don't think you're in Shanghai. Shanghai is the safest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always thought that was kind of cute that even amongst the Chinese, they were like, yeah, we're in Shanghai. It is really safe. Yeah, yeah. But how how did you make friends? I'm assuming like you didn't really know people are like have established friendships before you really moved here. So, yeah. so like how how did you make friends, meet friends? And, you know, what what did it feel like when, you know, you did finally leave and, and go back home or go back? Yeah. To yeah. Yeah. We didn't really. Yeah, it's true. We, we knew a couple of people who, from other contacts who were there, but they weren't people we had known really well. We did have friends from the U.S., though, who did know people who introduced them to us, and mm-hmm. some of whom became good friends. So that was kind of random mm-hmm. and, and unexpected and very nice. Um, and I'd say the two, sort of the three areas where we met people were one was through our kids, mm-hmm. um, because their parents tended to be people who are also interested in travel or, or you know, international things. So we had some commonality there, and that was super cool. And then. Um, we also uh, met people through art. We were both, in, my husband and I were both really interested in old Shanghai architecture or the history of Shanghai. And at that time, there were a lot of um, people who were doing walking tours or lectures about that. So that was a great way that we met people who had a common interest. And then um, I met a lot of women who were, you know, kind of focusing on their professions and were involved in Anjam or mm-hmm. Brit uh, Cham or whatever and became friends with them. So um, one of the things that, so it was really hard leaving because we had this lovely social circle that we had really enjoyed. Uh, but one of the things that's been nice is that we now know people all over the world. And so, you know, pre COVID, we would, people would come visit us or we would see them when we, you know, we went through places mm-hmm. and that was, that's a pretty cool benefit. And, and our kids have gotten to you know, stay in touch with some of their friends and go visit, um, them. And that's, that's a pretty neat thing. So, um, with social media, you can, it does seem like you're able to stay in touch with people afterwards. Um, and we're, you know, it'll be seven years this spring since we left, um, which is a stunning thing to think. Um, but you know, we're, we're still in touch with many of those people and hoping to see some of them this year. So fingers crossed. When, when you mentioned that, you know, in, when you were in Seattle, you know, on the weekends, you had to like do all these errands, um, but mm-hmm. then, you know, when you were here in Shanghai, you know, you had the, the benefit of, of a housekeeper and, you know, lots mm-hmm. of things were done and life was a little bit more comfortable. So then when you returned, what, like, was there a culture shock and, and, you know, how did you deal with that? Yeah, that was really hard. I mean, when I came back, so my older son was in college, my younger son was starting high school and it was he and I who were in the house. And then my husband was still finishing up his job. So for six months, it was just me. And I was still traveling a lot for business. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. It was so hard. So I'd, you know, I'd be like, oh, what, what can I put on the you know, Instapot or the mm-hmm. slow cooker? They'll be ready when he gets home. Or mm-hmm. I would have to you know, juggle things around a lot more. And 
it was really a tough readjustment. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, I can't say that that part of it's fun. And, and from my discussions with people, almost everyone I know who has liked living internationally has found going back to their home country, the, you know, the reentry of that process kind of hard, even mm-hmm. if they were, even if they were happy about being back with their family or happy to be back around certain things. Um, just the rhythm of life when you've known something so different is hard to adjust to. And um, that that took probably six plus months before I started to feel like, okay, I'm getting a handle on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so, you know, what are some things that you miss about Shanghai? Well, it's, you know, it's ironic because, as I said at the outset, I was the one who was agitating for many, many years to move there. And then certain, you know, a number of things happened where I concluded in 2014, it was time to look at moving back to the United States. And by then, my older son had left because he had gone to college and my younger son and my husband uh, were just outraged. They were like, <laughs> what do you mean? We're like, we live we're not leaving. This is our home. I'm like, yeah. it's, you know, it's time for this reason, this reason, this reason. So they were really mad at me when I said, this is, you know, we've got to do this. And, um, so when we moved back, um, I felt like we were doing the right thing and I didn't really go through a huge withdrawal because we were doing what I thought was needed to be done. Mm-hmm. But I observed that for my husband, it was really, really hard. He had gone from being the guy who didn't want to move to China who, to somebody who had really thrived and flourished mm-hmm. there. And one of the things that we noticed when we came back here is that people in Seattle tend, um, I don't know if it's because we have houses to take care of, like you don't have, you know, an IE and you've got a yard to take care of or mm-hmm. what it is, but people tend to make plans much farther in advance, you know, like if you want to plan a dinner with somebody, you need two or three weeks notice. Mm-hmm. And there's not in Shanghai, all the people we knew, you, if you were good friends with them, you could, you know, send them a WeChat and be like, Hey, do you want to meet after work for a drink on your way home? Or after dinner, you'd be like, Hey, let's go out and, you know, go for a walk or let's go get a massage. And mm-hmm. people were totally open to that. And so he really missed that spontaneity um, and that sociability of expat life in Shanghai at that point maybe it's different you, you know we left six years ago I think the hard, you know frankly the hardest thing for me moving here back to the United States was this will sound really sad um, is living with the fear that my child could be killed in a mass gun violence incident mm-hmm. yeah you know like realizing that uh, now they do all this training about you know active shooter drills and mm-hmm. And that that is a, an actual thing that people worry about. Um, and that was really dismaying to realize that because we always felt so safe living in China yeah. um, and, and really valued. And, and I also really loved as a woman, you know, I'd go out at night mm-hmm. by myself and it never, I was never worried about being out alone. And in the United States, you know, if you're out by yourself, it's you have to walk into a parking garage alone at night you do tend to worry more and um you know that's that's an unfortunate difference between living where we lived in china uh, you know i recognize that not all parts of china are as safe as shanghai my chinese friends would always be like you know the the juran the the 
safety situation in Shanghai is the best in the country, but, um, but it was really nice to have that sense of freedom there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have said that to friends uh, before um, that I notice every time, like I've, I've spoken with different expats, they've always said like, I mean, they said, you know, various things, you know, so the income quality of life, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, they, they've all said the same, like, you know, yeah, it, it is, it is peaceful. It is calm. Don't, I don't have to worry about different things. So like, whether they're from South Africa, whether they're from America, they've all said the same thing. Like, you know, I can just, I can just live and I don't mm -hmm. feel bothered, put upon, hindered. Um, I don't feel my safety is an issue. So, so that is very interesting. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously that, that is a pleasure. Definitely. Okay, so I guess I'll just leave off at like one last question. Um, you guys have been back in Seattle for some time now, since 2014. Mm -hmm. Now your youngest child is an older child. Um, and so question for you, do you and your husband plan to just remain in Seattle? Would you like to seek out another country? Maybe return back to China and begin the expat experience all over again? Are there any plans for the future that you guys have thought about, talked about? Oh, that's such a good question. Well, actually, yeah, I think he had been thinking, you know, pre-COVID mm -hmm. um, that maybe he would get, you know, sort of a studio because he works for a company. He started working for a company in Shanghai that is headquartered in the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. and he still works for them, um, even though he's re he had returned to the United States. He, mm -hmm. And um, but as, as part of his job, prior to COVID, he would go to China, you know, two or three times a year. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think he had been considering, well, once our youngest went off to college, maybe he would get a studio apartment in Shanghai. And then he or he and I could spend some time there when he would go work. And, and that would be very cool. But then, you know, COVID hit, and he hasn't been able to get to China since November 2019. So then who knows when things will change. So um I could see him doing that, though, if, you know, the situation were to stabilize. Uh, we both have parents who are, you know, getting older and, you know, are, are on the cusp of needing more support from us. So it's hard to imagine right now that we would live full time overseas, but you never know. I, I mean, I, you know, it was a great experience. It For me, I think I'd be more likely to, rather than to move back to China, to want to do something where you know, the, the months of the year, they're pleasant here in the Pacific Northwest, we're here. And then uh, the winters were traveling or spending you know, that period somewhere else. And I don't know if that's somewhere, multiple places somewhere else, or if we would find some home away from home and create a sort of alternative uh, expat 2.0 life there. But we'll see. Mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. it's good to have choices and having, you know, I will say that having had this fabulous experience living overseas as we did, it does give you a confidence that you can figure that out if it's something you want to pursue again. Mm -hmm. So the door remains open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it is something that, you know, because they've asked me like, oh, well, will you move back to America? And I've said, I, I've, I loved living in America. I did for the many, many years that I lived there, but the, living abroad really 
I feel like it made me like even more so outgoing and adventurous. And, and, and I, and I realized that there's so much about the world that I don't know, unfortunately, that, that I want to know more about. And so, you know, I'd like to continue being an expat, whether here or in other countries, I encourage people to take a chance, even if it's just for six months or a year, like take a chance and go and, and, and find that new. Yeah. So we're going to, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're going to go ahead and leave it there. Um, I do want to mention to the listeners, you know, I, I had met Amy through uh, learning about her book, Rumors from Shanghai. And, and this is one of the things that I loved about the book and I placed myself in the book so much. Um, and this is why I wanted to interview her about being an expat because, um, you know, it was about a black American expat in Shanghai and I had not seen any other books like that. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, that's me. I'm black. I'm American. I'm in Shanghai. I mean, obviously that yeah. boils it down very basically, but still, you know, and you know, I, I, when I had a conversation with Amy, and and I was like, you know, I, I I haven't seen anything like this. And I remember when you said, and I think I, I I think I'm saying this correctly, when you said, you know, you started writing about this. Maybe one day I will now, you know, talk about my own experience as, you know, a black American expat in Shanghai. And I just thought, hmm, what am I gonna talk about? How am I gonna do that? And, you know, that was a small part of like me, honestly, starting the podcast, because I was like, besides my experience, there's so many experiences, not just here, but around the world of people figuring it out and and having an experience in a completely different country that I want people to hear about. So, so it's been a real pleasure interviewing you today, Amy. And, and I hope that, you know, our listeners enjoyed it as well. So I'm going to say goodbye to our listeners. Goodbye to Amy. If anyone really enjoyed this podcast and can leave a review, I really appreciate it. So with that, uh, we will talk to you guys again on the next episode of Are We Home Yet? podcast, a podcast for current expats to talk about their experiences in different countries. And hopefully this is also a source of inspiration and encouragement for future uh, expats to learn from and to take an opportunity to have a new adventure. And uh, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Coming up is my interview with Raphael, a contributing author to Travel Noir magazine. He and his fiance, both expats from America, after a whirlwind two years of traveling and living in various countries, are now on a short break in America, planning their next adventure together abroad. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe and to stay updated, head over to are we home yet podcast.com. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.